Praise God. God is a good God, and he's worthy to be praised. Can you say amen? I want you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. I want to say that I do so much appreciate the opportunity that has been afforded to me this morning to stand behind this sacred desk one more time. I'm thankful for the privilege of being able to preach the gospel. Uh, I just celebrated on the 26th day of July. I celebrated my 39th anniversary of full-time ministry. For the last 39 years, I've literally traveled all over the world and proclaimed the message that Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings. And I don't care what's going on in the world. He's still Lord. We may be having some of the most difficult times that we've ever had in our lives. But he's still God. And he's still in control. And I still believe that everything is going to be all right. Can you say amen? I also want to give honor to the set angels of this house. The leaders that God has placed as your pastors. We thank God for... Pastor Samuel and First Lady, come on, can you give it up for Pastor and First Lady this morning? Let's thank God for their leadership and for the anointing that is upon their life. I know a lot of times, as we get ready in just a moment to read this text, I know a lot of times when you have a guest speaker, especially for the first time, you know, you're wondering a lot of things, you know, what, uh, uh, you know, who is this, where is this person from, and... Uh, I'm just a North Georgia country boy originally. Uh, I was born just north of Atlanta. I told them in the office this morning, I don't drink tea or coffee, uh, but I am Southern. Uh, I grew up on cornbread and buttermilk. You take some cornbread and you crumble it up in a bowl and you pour buttermilk on top of it and you get you a sweet onion and that's a meal right within itself. Can somebody say Amen. But, uh, you know, I, I thank the Lord for what he's done in my life. I don't have a testimony to give you this morning that God delivered me from drugs and alcohol or things of that nature. And I'm not making light of that. But I've been saved since I was a seven-year-old boy and been preaching since I was 14. But what I can tell you this morning is that his grace is a keeping grace. That his grace is truly a saving grace. And uh, I, I, I'm not a long-winded preacher, so don't worry. I know I brought me a Happy Meal with me this morning that I'm going to use sometime during my message, but that doesn't mean we're going to be here all day. Uh, I've never preached no longer than two hours and 45 minutes. And, uh, but, Pastor, that was on one given occasion. It was actually several years ago. I was in a small rural community way deep down in South Georgia. And uh, it was an African-American church, and I was the only Caucasian there. And I had preached for about 45 minutes, and I felt like I had preached everything I needed to preach. And I was getting ready to dismiss, and there was all maybe 175 people there that morning. And one of the uh, black brethren stood up in the very back right as I was getting ready to come to a close. And he said, preach on, white man, preach on. And if you can't preach after that, there ain't no preach left in you. And so I just kept on preaching. But I'm just, I'm delighted to be here. I, I guarantee you that I will preach to you as long as the anointing to preach is here. 
And when that anointing has been lifted, then we're just going to let God do what he does best in the altar service. I didn't come here this morning to preach one of my 21 red hots. It would be very easy for me to do that. I've been, as I mentioned a moment ago, been in the ministry for now 39 years. And I've got many messages that I could just pull out of the hat and preach to you. But I really feel that the Lord spoke to my heart and gave me a word for this house this morning. And I believe that God is going to touch you. He's going to change you. He's going to challenge you. And he's going to renew and revive some things that have been dead in your life. Because God's not through. Your, your greater days are not behind you. But your greater days are ahead of you. I, you know, I don't know what the enemy has been trying to tell you. I don't know what even the enemy is trying to tell leadership. But God said your better days are not behind you. Even though they may have been great and grand and glorious. But your greater days are ahead of you. Because of the greater days are coming. Can somebody say amen? So 1 Samuel chapter 30, and I may have to uh, look at my notes quite often this morning, but uh, I, because this is just fresh for you today. The Lord just thought you were so special that he just gave you a fresh word for this morning. And so I'm going to give it to you as God gave it to me. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 8, and then verses 16 through 20 in consecutive order. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and had smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Now I want you to notice verse number 5. And David's two wives. He didn't say one, but the Bible says two. And I'm going to deal with that in, the, in a, a few minutes. And David's two wives were taken captive is what the word says. Verse 6 says, And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abithophar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abithophar brought thither the ephod to David. Verse 8 is what I really want to center upon this morning. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Verse 16, And when he had brought him down, behold, there were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight, even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men, which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all, somebody say all. Say that one more time. Say it once again. 
And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his not one but two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither great nor small, or neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave before those other cattle and said, This is David's spoil. And may the Lord add the blessings upon the reading of his word this morning. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the many blessings of life. I thank you for your loving kindness, for truly your loving kindness is better than life. I pray, Lord, that over the next few moments that you would take your servant as a lump of clay and just sit me on the potter's wheel. I ask you to take your foot and I ask you to turn the table and I ask you to begin to take your hand and shape me and to mold me the way that you would have me to be. I pray, God, that not only that the words that proceed from my mouth would be backed up by your word, but I pray that you would anoint me to preach the word because it is the anointing that makes the difference. It is the anointing that will, will break every yoke of bondage. As the word says, it will destroy the yoke. And I believe there's a yoke-destroying anointing that is in this house this morning. And I ask, God, that you would let that anointing rest and reign upon us. Not only anoint me to preach, but anoint the ears to hear and be receptive to what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to the church. And I pray that in no way that the devil would block the receptivity of your word to your people. But I lay hold Isaiah 55 verses 9, 10, and 11 that your word shall not return unto you void, but it shall accomplish everything that you have intended for it to do. Now to God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be all of the glory for the things that shall be accomplished this day and let every glad heart say amen. I want to look primarily really at the entire portion of scripture that I have read to you today. But I want to center my theme upon verse number 8. As we look at this text, I want you to see a warrior. But I don't want you to see just a warrior, but I want you to see a warrior that is in recovery. You see, I want you to look at your neighbor this morning. Say, neighbor, you're seated next to a warrior. Now look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, you might not realize it just now, but you're seated next to a warrior. As I begin to study and compile this message and as I really begin to pray last night, I, I stayed up quite late. I actually didn't go to sleep until after 2 o'clock this morning because I, there was something that the Lord was stirring in my heart and in my spirit about today's service. If I could give this message a title today, I believe I would title it this, It's Time for War. It's Time for War. I thought about in history classes how the 1960s and 70s as they taught us because I was actually born in 1966. They taught us that in the 60s and 70s that it was considered to be some of the most turbulent times in America. America found itself shaken by the many experiences that it had gone through. The nation had seen its beloved president John F. Kennedy assassinated in his motorcade on November the 
the 22nd, 1963, in Dallas, Texas. And then five years later, perhaps the greatest civil rights leader at all times, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, was assassinated as he stood on the balcony outside his hotel room in Memphis, Tennessee, on April the 4th, 1968. Then about the time that the nation was catching its breath, Robert F. Kennedy was gunned down in Los Angeles on June the 5th, 1968. And to go along with all of this bloodshed of our national figures, we were involved in what has become known as the Vietnam conflict or the Vietnam War. And during that season, Pastor, there were many forms of protests that took place. One of the forms of protest was a song that was written by the man by the by the name of a man called Edwin Starr. And uh, it was called War. Some of you might have heard that years and years ago. It rose to the highest charts in the music industry in the 1970s. And part of the lyrics were this. War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. But I've come to tell you this morning that sometimes, whether we like it or not, war is necessary. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 and 8, to everything there is a season. There is a time to every purpose under the heavens. There is a time of love and there is a time to hate. There is a time of war and a time of peace. What the writer, I believe, is trying to express to us is that sometimes in life there are things that are worth fighting for. Some of you got to realize this morning that you're not going to win the battle that you're engaged in unless you get up off your lazy hide and go to war with the devil. And you let the devil know that you're not going to be a defeated foe, but you're going to be a victorious believer through the power of the Holy Ghost. I love the song that Andre Crouch penned several years ago. It said, I thank God for my mountains, and I thank him for my valleys. I thank him for the things that he has brought me through. But you see, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know my God could solve it. But through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I've learned to trust in God. And I've come to tell somebody this morning, it's time for you to realize if you're going to defeat the enemy of your soul, who is the devil, you've got to realize it's battle time. It's war time. And we've got to fight the enemy and let the enemy know that we're not going to be a defeated foe, but we're going to be a victorious believer through the power of the Holy Ghost. Give him a praise offering this morning. See, we've got to come to the place to where we make up our mind of whether we're going to obey God or we're not going to obey God. Can somebody say amen? You see, in November of, of 2017, my life was just a, a, a bed of roses, so to speak. I was doing everything I wanted to do, pastoring a successful church. I had a staff of 14 full-time staff members. We had a school. We had everything going for us. But then all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and said that it's time to, to leave everything that you know is normal, and it's time for you to get back on the road of evangelism. And so really, Pastor, evangelism has been my 
my heart all of my life. And so I left all of that behind in order to accomplish the task that God has given me. And I'm thankful that since November 2017, I've never went without a meal. You can certainly look at me and tell that. My clothes have not gone threadbare. There's not holes in my shoes. And I've got a nice automobile to drive. Why? Because I realize that it's time for war. It's time that we fight for our freedom. It's time that we fight for our equality. It's time that we fight for justice. It's time that we fight for peace. There's going to come a time in your life when the devil is going to back you up in the corner and you've got to take a stand and you've got to make up your mind of whether you're going to cower down or whether you're going to square your heels and you're going to look the devil in the eye and say, devil, you are the defeated foe and I am victorious. And so we've got to take on that warrior spirit. And I believe that everybody in this house this morning, that God has placed within you that warrior spirit. You might not realize it just yet, but there is a spirit of a warrior that is in you that needs to rise up in this generation. I've never seen such a generation as what we live in today. We live in the most offended generation. We live in a generation that everybody gets their feelings hurt over the little smallest thing. But I've come to tell you, I don't necessarily believe it's that they get their feelings hurt. I believe it's because sin is reigning in the nation. And it's time that we begin to say sin can no longer reign in the hearts of the men and women of God. But we must become righteous. We must become holy. We must become an individual that declares, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know the life that your children are living this morning, but I declare that my children will serve God. I declare that God will use every one of them. I declare that the anointing is upon them. Some of your children and grandchildren might be temporarily out of order this morning, but it's time for you to get up out of that bed of lethargy and declare that my children are going to be used of God. They're going to be anointed of God. God is going to touch them. And I tell my kids every day, you were created for success. You were not created for failure. You were not created to fail, but you were created to become more than a conqueror. Can somebody say amen? You see, there are times in our life when we, as a child of God, we're going to be faced with battles. We're going to battle with demonic spirits. We're going to battle with our flesh. We're going to battle with finances. We're going to battle with our families. We're going to battle in our marriages. We're going to battle in our church. We're going to have battles in our ministries. But we're going to even be engaged in battles that are going to help determine our destiny. But I believe that God has placed within every one of us the spirit of a warrior to fight and to defeat the devil. We're not just going to fight, but we're going to win. We're not just going to be engaged in battle, but we're going to be more than a conqueror and we've got to realize that God has placed that spirit of a warrior within us because he does not want us to be constantly defeated but he wants us to live a life of victory you no longer have to 
be bullied by the devil. You've got to realize that God has given you the spirit of a warrior to overcome the enemy. The Bible says that God is able and abundant to do exceedingly above all that we can ask or even think according to the power that worketh within us. What kind of power is in you? I know when I was coming up in old time Pentecost, we were singing old songs like, we've got the power in the name of the Lord. Those Satan rages will not be defeated because we've got the power in the name of the Lord. And I still believe that this morning. I still believe that the church is the greatest force upon the planet earth and we've got all power and all authority. As a matter of fact, coming down Interstate 20 this morning, I lifted up my hands and I told the devil, I said, devil, I got more power in my pinky than you've got in the entire world. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Can you see? Amen. You've got to recognize that spirit of a warrior that has been placed within you. There is no greater problem than when we see a a child of God using their warrior spirit in a way that is out of control. They find themselves fighting, fighting, fighting the wrong enemy and hurting people that are close to them. You see, I realized a long time ago that I'm not fighting against flesh and blood, but I'm fighting against spirits. I'm, I'm in the midst of writing a book on hindering spirits, on spirits that are hindering the flow and the work and the move of God. And I talk about the spirit of absinthe. You see that in the book of the Revelation. It is translated as wormwood. We have the spirit of wormwood that is in the church. It is a bitter spirit. Wormwood is a bitter herb, a bitter spirit. And sitting in the house of God is people that is wrapped up in a bitter spirit. And we need to get rid of that bitter spirit. Then we have the spirit of Cain, which is a murdering spirit. You see Cain, he murdered his brother right in the midst of harvest time. And it seems like that happens a lot in the church. All of a sudden the power of God is moving and the church is beginning to grow and the finances are up. But then all of a sudden out of nowhere the spirit of Cain rises up and begins to murder, begins to abort that that God is trying to do. But I come to tell you this morning that the spirit of Cain no longer has authority in the church because we're going to take authority over the spirit of Cain. And then we have the spirit of Leviathan. You see, you see Leviathan in the Old Testament. The old Bible scholars say that Leviathan was the name of the crocodile that was in the Nile River that was looking for Moses. And you know the song that we used to sing? Oh, we have heard of little Moses in the bulrush. Moses was not placed in bulrush by happenstance or coincidence. You see, crocodiles and alligators... They are allergic to bulrush. They have an allergic reaction. They don't get around bulrush. That's the reason God placed him in Moses in the bulrush in order to protect him. And But what I have learned while we lived in Florida, you see, we had alligators that would cross the street and come in the yard just at any time and they wouldn't do anything about it unless they got in the swimming pool or got in your garage. But what I learned about a crocodile and an alligator, it's not the, 
the bite that usually kills you. Uh, but what they do when they bite you, they pull you in the water and they begin to twist and turn uh, until every bit of life has been drained out of you. Uh, then if they choose to eat you, uh, they do it after you have died. Uh, but a lot of times they just let you go uh, and let you float. Uh, you see, that's what the spirit of Leviathan is. Uh, it bites you. Uh, it twists you. It turns you. Uh, it hurts you. Uh, and then when it's done is damage, then it leaves the church and it goes somewhere else. And then we have the spirit of Jezebel. I believe that is the predominant spirit that is rising up within the church. And when I came up in the old church, the spirit of Jezebel was mainly talked about some type of sexually perverted spirit. But that's not what the spirit of Jezebel is. The spirit of Jezebel is about illegitimate authority. Because you see, Jezebel was trying to overrule Ahab. She was trying to rule over the decisions that Ahab made. And in fact, she did. She enticed him to bring in idolatry into the land. And that's what's happened in the church. We have people that come in that think, well, I know more than the pastor and I can do more than the pastor can do. I can accomplish more than the pastor. Well, my question is, how come you ain't a pastor? How come you're not successful? It's because you are operating in the spirit of Jezebel. And so what the church has got to learn to do, we've got to realize that it's time for war. We've got to get up and we've got to fight the devil and we've got to let the devil know that no longer is he going to take our children. No longer is he going to take our finances. No longer is he going to take things that are precious to us. But we're going to stand. We're going to fight. And we're not only going to fight, but we are going to win against the enemy of our soul. Can you give him another praise offering this morning? Verse 8 says, And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? I believe there are few men that possess this warrior spirit like David did. And if you'll just bear with me for just a moment because I love teaching the word. I have a doctorate degree hanging on my wall that exemplifies the fact that I, I love the Word of God. And I'm not going to give you my opinion this morning because my opinions may fail you, but I'm going to give you the Word because heaven and earth may pass away, but His Word will stand forever. Can you say amen? And so I want to look at David this morning for just a quick moment. If I'll just lay this quick foundation uh, before I get into just a couple of points. Number one, I want us to see how David was a giant killer. David was a man after God's own heart. David, the stone-slinging shepherd boy who stepped from the lowly sheepfolds now onto the center stage of history with the courage of a young lion and the accuracy of a skillful marksman. You see, David was not only a worshiper, but David was a warrior. David was a man that could dance before the Lord with all of his might. But then a few chapters later, he would gather an army together and they would go and slay 100,000 men. David was not only a man of music, but he was a man of muscle. He was a man that it was, so, was as soft as velvet, but as strong as steel. 
still. David who spoke with beautiful poetry but he was also a man whose words were spoken with power and with authority. You see David was a man who seemed to be at the right place at the right time. He always seemed to be one step ahead of the enemy. But however when we come to my text this morning we find it to be quite opposite because the Bible says while his troops were out it says that his land was attacked and his troops seemed to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and here our text is filled with great pressure and David is in what I call an acquired position he is now exiled and a fugitive because he's fleeing from King Saul who because of his jealousy wants to kill him he's also avoiding the Philistines who have been his enemies for years and he's now forced to find haven in a place called Ziglag and as usual David's position and his anointing and his leadership skills it brought him to the forefront David is now leading a group of men into battles and the Bible says while they are away the Amalekites had invaded from the south you see these men had been out doing perhaps what they thought was right and while they were coming back from war I can imagine Pastor Samuel in their mind they were excited and they were anticipating a great arrival as a matter of fact I think at the moment they perhaps thought that in any moment they would begin to smell some chicken frying they would begin to smell some potatoes cooking they would begin to smell the green beans with the pork meat inside of it you can't be have green beans without pork meat and then they had the cornbread going and the and I, I'm a fa- I'm a fan of biscuits there's nothing like buttermilk biscuits and then I'm sure they expected desserts you know maybe cakes and pies and puddings but uh, uh, to their amazement as they was arriving at Ziglag they didn't begin to smell that aroma as a matter of fact the Bible says they began to smell the stench of a burned down city of a destroyed city they were expecting a great banquet they were expecting a cooked meal they were expecting their wives and their children to come running to them but instead what they found was a city that had been burned down was a city that was ruined everything that was precious to them had been taken from them and so my question to you this morning is have you been doing something for God lately have you been engaged in what you thought was a battle for the Lord but all of a sudden you woke up and you realize that the enemy is trying to destroy your marriage that the enemy is trying to destroy your children that the enemy is trying to destroy your finances that the enemy is trying to destroy your business or your job I've come to tell you this morning it's time for war it's time for us to get up and say devil you're not going to have my family you're not going to have my finances you're not going to have my children you're not going to have my grandchildren you're not going to have my business you're not going to have my job you're not going to have my peace of mind you're not going to have my victory because I refuse to allow you to destroy what God has given to me can somebody say amen very quickly and I promise you over the next 15 minutes I'm going to go very quickly 
There are six things that I feel that David did on his road to recovery. The first thing that I believe that David did was recognition. Number one, he recognized who his enemy was. You see, the problem in the church is that you and I are fighting in battles when we don't really know who our enemy is. I read to you in verse number one, the Bible says, and it came to pass when David and all of his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites, God took out enough time to let us know who David was fighting from the very beginning of this story. You see, the Amalekites, they were descendants of Esau. They were an enemy of Israel. We first find them coming against Israel during the days of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 25. As a matter of fact, Moses is told and directed by God pastor to do battle against the Amalekites. And really what God told him to do, he said I want you to totally annihilate the Amalekites because of their ungodly worship of idols. God told him not to spare any children, women, or men but because of their unbelief and not following what God told them to do the children of Israel and Moses, they allowed the Amalekites to survive and because of them not taking care of them, the Bible tells us that Joshua had to deal with the Amalekites not only Joshua, but Gideon had to deal with them Saul himself, before becoming king was to deal with them but he did not and now because no one else was willing to face the Amalekites David was faced with dealing with them with what Moses and the others were supposed to have dealt with and done away with what you need to understand is I believe that some of us are facing things in our life because of things that were not dealt with in the past you got to remember what the scripture says the apostle Paul said brethren I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do I forget those things which are behind and I press forward to the prize of the high calling of God which is in Christ Jesus there's several things I want you to understand there in the original Greek what it is reading is saying brethren as I look at the ledger sheet of my life those of you that have been in business or conducted business you know that a ledger sheet shows the positives and the negatives. It shows you the surplus and it shows you what you're short in. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, brethren, as I look at the ledger sheet of my life, I realize that I have not yet arrived, but I'm going to press toward the mark. The word mark is a Greek word, which means an object that has caught our attention. I come to tell you this morning, we need to get our eyes fixed upon the mark. And we need to declare that as for me and my house, as for me and every person that is in my house, my children and my children's children and their children, if Jesus tarries, they're going to be blessed. You see, my granddaddy was an alcoholic before God saved him. My father was an alcoholic. I made up my mind that the book stops right here. I'm not going to face that 
spirit of alcoholism so that my children will not face it. And I've come to tell you this morning, I've got four beautiful children, my wife and I do, and none of them are alcoholics because I recognize who the enemy of my life was. I recognize the devil has come to rob, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So I come to tell some mother, I come to tell some father this morning, get up and let the devil know you're not going to let him take your family to hell, but you're going to stand in the gap and you're going to make up the hedge. Can somebody say amen? The second thing that I noticed here that David did, he not only recognized who his enemy was, but secondly, he came to a place of release. He came to a place of release. In other words, there are some issues of pain. There are some issues of sorrow and grief that we've all got to come to the place of release. I don't want to bust anybody's bubble this morning and I certainly don't want to hurt your feelings. But I'm very sorry that someone violated you as a young child. I'm very sorry that someone took advantage of you. But there comes a time in your life when you just got to release it. There comes a time in your life when you've got to let it go. In a psychology article I read just the other day of where it says stress brings upon more than we realize. And inward stress is a number one killer in America today. Because you see, we need to realize what we really need to do is just get together and have a good old-fashioned Holy Ghost crying party. Because the Bible says David wept until he could weep no more. It was in that weeping that he released. It was in that weeping that he let it go. And so I've come to tell you this morning, we just need to get him the all and we need to weep until we weep no more. We need to make an altar in our house. We need to make an altar in our automobile, driving to our business or to our job and we need to cry out unto God because what I've learned, uh, my dear friend Kim Pothier, she said that, that crying is the safety valve of the heart and I begin to think about that. Crying is the safety valve of the heart. When we begin to cry, it begins to release that that is within us. I know some people say, well, real men don't cry. Well, I come to tell you that is a lie. Real men do cry. Real men get alone with God and weep with God and pray with God and believe that God is not only going to hear your prayer, but he is going to answer your prayer. You've got to realize Disney was not the first person. I know they got a lot of advantage and making a lot of money on that song, let it go, let it go, let it go. But they didn't invent the song. God did. He said, you got to let it go. You got to give it to him. As the old songwriter said, you got to give up and you got to let Jesus take over. Can you say amen? The third thing that I feel that, that David did was not only did he recognize who his enemy was, not only did he come to the place of release, but thirdly, he came to a season of refocusing. 
You see, the thing that I see here about David is David and his men is that there came a time when the crying had to be over and they had to begin that road to recovery. You see, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 30 and 6, and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But what did David do? David encouraged himself in the Lord. I've come to tell you this morning, you got to quit waiting on pastor to invite a prophet to come and prophesy over you. You've got to quit waiting on somebody to get up and sing a song about your problem. You've got to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord your God. You've got to get out the Bible for yourself. You've got to read the word for yourself. You've got to anoint yourself with oil and you've got to pray the prayer of faith and you've got to believe that God is going to move in your life. You've got to learn to refocus. I know things may not be going right. I know the ground may be shaking. I know the rain may be falling. The thunder may be rolling and the lightning may be striking. But you've got to declare I'm going to refocus and I'm going to give up and I'm going to let Jesus take over. The songwriter said I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. You don't sing because somebody else is happy. You don't sing just because somebody else is free. But you lift up your hands. Not just plain hands but holy hands. Without without fear. Without wrath. Without doubt. Without unbelief. Knowing that if God be for me then who can be against me? Can somebody say amen? Number four. The fourth thing that David did, he not only recognized who his enemy was. He not only came to a time of release. He not only came to a season to refocus. But fourthly, there comes a time when you got to become a rejoicer. You got to learn how to rejoice. Let me tell you something. I am a praiser. I am a worshiper. I loved it this morning as those singers were up here and they were singing those songs and they were worshiping God. And I know that it may not be what some of us are used to. I was raised in the old church. I remember the old Redback hymnal. I remember when we used to sing Heaven's Jubilee and Amazing Grace and and Victory in Jesus and Keep on the Firing Line. I, I know all of those songs. Songs. We can go to page 10. We can go to 110. We can go to 120. We can go to 333. And we can sing all those old songs. But I love the new ones too because we got to learn to adapt to the generation. Can somebody say amen? Because Amazing Grace at one time was new. And whether you like it or not, the church came against Amazing Grace when they first brought it out. That was, not, that was the first worship war that really ever occurred in the church is when they started bringing hymns into the church. So I've come to tell you this morning, you were created to be a praiser. You were created to be a worshiper. You were created to give God praise. And that's what we've got to learn to do. Because verse 7 said, And David said to Abithophar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abithophar brought thither the ephod to David. Now some of you might not know what an ephod is. But an ephod 
God is a garment that is worn at the time of celebration. And what David was saying is before I can get this thing taken care of, I've got to worship my way through it. I've got to praise my way through it. So some of you this morning, what you need to learn to do is when you walk in this house broken, you need to learn to worship him. You need to learn to praise him. You need to learn to lift up holy hands. I know there's sometimes that people you just saner in and sashay down the aisle and get to your seat and just hunker down and you say, okay, God, bless me if you can. What do you mean if God can? God can do absolutely anything. He's the one that gave you breath to breathe. He's the one that gave you strength to get into this house. So you might not feel like coming, but you praise him anyway. I've got a philosophy. There's only two times when you ought to praise God. That's when you feel like it and when you don't. Because there's sometimes you're going to feel like worshiping him, but then there's sometimes it's going to be rough and it's going to be hard, but I'm still going to praise him. I'm still going to glorify him. I'm still going to praise him. I'm still going to worship him because there is a fire shut up in my bones that I cannot hide it. I cannot contain it. And I've got to worship the Lord, the King of glory. Can somebody say amen? Number five. I only have two more points. Number five. I told you in 15 minutes I'd be done and I'm almost there. Number five. Another thing that David did on his road to recovery, he came to a place of recognition. He came to a place of release. He came to a place of refocus. He came to a time of rejoicing. But fifthly, he came to a moment when he had to request. He had to request. Many of us, the reason we don't have is because we haven't asked. The Bible says, you have not because you ask not. I still remember one of the old songs that they used to sing in the church. Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. If you need salvation, tell him what you want. If you need sanctification, tell him what you want. If you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I still believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. And and I'm going to throw this in. It won't cost you a dime. And if I bust your bubble, I'm the evangelist. I can preach the devil if I love you and then leave town and not have to worry about a thing. But I've come to tell you I don't believe in teaching anybody how to talk in tongues because the Bible says when the spirit of truth comes he'll put a language in your mouth and you'll begin to speak that language. You don't have to take nobody into a side room and teach them how to talk in tongues. Matter of fact the Holy Ghost is our teacher. He's our leader. He's our guide. And he's our director. And the old timers used to say that the Holy Ghost comes on the wings of praise. And I still believe that if the saints will begin to praise him. If the saints will begin to 
magnify him, if the saints will begin to glorify him, do you realize what would happen in this house? I don't know how many this building would seat, maybe five, six, seven, eight hundred, I don't know, but do you realize if every seat was full and if everybody was in one mind, if everybody was in one accord and began to rejoice and begin to praise God and begin to make their requests made known unto God and then begin to worship God or do you realize what would happen if we turned it into just an old fashioned worship service to where we just praise God not for what he's done but for who he is I believe he would come among us he would touch heal deliver and set free and then number six and I'm coming to a close here I know a lot of times when you hear the preacher say they're coming to a close, you know automatically they've told the first lie in the service. Now when they've said it five or six times, then you believe it. But truly, I'm coming to a close. My last point this morning is simply this. On David's road to recovery, he not only came to a time of recognition, He not only came to a time of release, came to a time of refocus, came to a time of rejoicing, came to a time of requesting. But number six, and this is the most important point this morning, David realized it was recovery time. Look at your neighbor and say it's time to recover all. Look at your neighbor and say it again, it's time to recover all. You've got to make up your mind you're going to believe God's word no matter what. I'm not here to debate anything with you this morning. I'm not here, you know, because a lot of times we pray for things and, you know, sometimes they don't come to pass. Sometimes we pray for some person to be healed and for whatever reason God chooses to take them on. You know, we don't understand some of those things. But despite anything, we know that God is still God. God is still in control. God still has the answer in the palm of His hand. And He still speaks peace in the midst of the storm. As I mentioned to you a moment ago, I've been in the ministry now for 39 years. I literally travel this world preaching the gospel. Matter of fact, this is the first Sunday in August my first available date to preach as of right now is sometime at the end of January. I don't have an available Sunday between now and the end of January because God has stirred up something in my spirit. I know preachers that are, are evangelists that are, that are begging to try to preach somewhere because they can't get places to preach. But I believe that God has blessed me because I believe God at His Word. I believe God at His Word. That's what I, Pastor, that's what I taught my children. My wife and I, we, we instilled in our children the life of faith. My oldest daughter, or our only daughter, she's not our biological daughter, but we took her in when she was about 14 years old. She was raised in a, a very abusive home. Her mother used to chase them around the house with butcher knives trying to to scare them and to hurt them and abuse them. We took her in. We raised her just like our own. I, I got her first car. I paid for her wedding. 
She has two beautiful children. Carson just turned 13 yesterday and Mackenzie is seven. They call us Mimi and Pappy. They're just, they're in the wheel just like our blood-born children. She's very successful. I got her first job in the little community we pastored in. We pastored in a city to where we had a, the only thing, the biggest thing we had was a Walmart, and the Walmart closed at 9 o'clock. That ought to tell you how small the city was. It still closes at 9 o'clock there. Got her first job when she was 16 years old. She would stock things on the shelves for about $7 an hour. Well, today, she makes over $125,000 a year. And then her bonus is about $50,000 a year. She's no longer stocking at Walmart. She has her own store. She's a store manager and she, she is one of their most successful uh, individuals. God can take your nothing and he can make you something out of it. Our oldest son, Randy Lamar, he's an international evangelist like his dad. and He travels all over the world. He has two children. Randy the third, they were debating on what to name him. And I said, there's no debate. You know, if you want to be included in the will, it'll be Randy Lamar the third. Well, guess what? His name is Randy Lamar the third. He'll be four years old in, in uh, October. And then their little girl, Mia Isabella, was born the first of December of this last year. Then our second son... Jake and Daniel, he is a deputy sheriff in Polk County, Florida, full of the Holy Ghost. He prays for them people. Sometimes when he, when he had to arrest them, he said, Daddy, I'd have to lay hands on them. And he prays in the Holy Ghost. He's not ashamed of God. And he'll lay hands on them. He's a Holy Ghost filled deputy. Matter of fact, he arrested one boy. He told me not long ago, he said, aren't you Bishop Coggins' son? He said, I sure am. He said, I, I, I used to go to your daddy's church. He said, well, obviously it didn't work. So when you get out of jail, you need to go back to church. But he's a praise and worship leader. Plays the keyboard. Never had a lesson in his life. He just sat down and prayed and asked God to, to, to bless him to be able to play the keyboard. And, and he just started watching people on the internet doing praise and worship music. And he started watching their hands and God just anointed his hands. And never had a lesson before in his life and can play anything. He actually plays the keys. He plays the bass. And there's a couple other things I can't remember. But he's a gifted and anointed. Our youngest son, Nicholas Scott, just graduated from high school. 18 years of age full of the power of God the last few years of high school he was a teacher's aide for uh, children with autism because he loves to work with children with special needs and the anointing of God is upon his life he loves children's ministry he's now doing things part time on staff at, in uh, Gainesville, Georgia at Free Chapel in Jensen Franklin's church God's anointed him there's an anointing because we taught our children the life of faith. And we taught them that whatever the devil has stolen for you, it's time to recover. Our oldest son, Randy Lamar, when he was five, six years old, Pastor, we were on our way to Florida to preach in a revival. And at the time, 
He loved McDonald's. I mean loved McDonald's. What kid does not love McDonald's? And especially the Happy Meal. And it's really not the food inside that makes them happy. We all know that. It's that toy. And at the time in the Happy Meal, uh, some of you may or may not recall this, McDonald's had partnered with Disney and they were giving away little figurines of, from characters of movies that Disney had produced. Bambi. They would give a, a little Bambi on But they were in a little video jacket. You remember when the VHS cassettes came in those video jackets? Well, And it was a little small video jacket. On the inside was one of those characters. Randy had gotten all of them except one. There was one that he didn't get. And it was Woody from Toy Story. Any of y'all remember Woody from Toy Story? Well, for those of you that are old enough, Woody is really just a, a glorified howdy doody. Because that's exactly who he is. He looks just like him, howdy doody. But nonetheless, we were on our way to Florida and Randy had all them toys except that one. And we were pulling off the exit and we always went through the drive through and got him something. And then my wife and I, we would go to a real restaurant and get us some real food, you know, because you get tired of McDonald's after a while. And I said, baby, what do you want? And he always said the same thing. He said, daddy, I want a hamburger Happy Meal, ketchup only. I want Coke to drink. But this time he said, daddy, I want Woody inside my Happy Meal. I said, okay, well, baby, we'll just see what we can do. So we drove up to the window. I ordered it. Then we you know, proceeded to the first window. And, uh, and I began to pay. And I, I told the lady, I said, listen, now my son wants Woody. Can you make sure he gets Woody in that Happy Meal? And her eyes got as big as a half dollar. And I, I was excited because I knew she was going to say sure. But then she looked at me and she said, oh, sir, I'm sorry. Woody was one of the first figurines that we had. And Woody has already come and Woody has already gone. Matter of fact, it was such a success and in demand that they, they redid it and made it uh, made several thousand extra. And, but it's already come and already gone and there'll be no more Woodies. So I explained this to him. I said, baby, when we get this Happy Meal at the next window, I'm just telling you, your Woody's not going to be in there because Woody's come and gone. Daddy will just have to see what else he can do. Maybe buy one of the big Woodies, you know. And so uh, I, I said, you understand that? He said, yes, sir. We got to the window. I got the Happy Meal and the drink and handed it back to him in the vehicle. And, and he put his Coke in his little holder and opened up his Happy Meal and began to look inside. And, and then all of a sudden he started crying. He said, Daddy Woody's not in my Happy Meal. And I said, boy, you just like your mother. You didn't listen to a thing I said. I can say that because she's not here today. <laughs> then we just went on down the road. We were in the revival there near Daytona, Florida. And we were in service on Sunday night. We had preached Sunday morning, went out to lunch, and then rested for a little bit, and then went back to service for Sunday night. And, and then on that night, Pastor, we had one of those wild services. I mean, it went wild. People shouting and dancing, and it just was a lengthy service. And by the time we got out of church, everything was closed. And I was tired. I was exhausted. I prayed for, I don't know, 300 people that night, and I, I, I was just ready to go to the hotel. And so we were headed toward the hotel, and about the time we turned the corner, wouldn't you know it, we looked up about 50 feet in the air, and there's those golden arches. And when those kids see those golden arches, it's like they've seen the gates of pearl. <laughs> he said, look, Daddy, there's McDonald's. I'm hungry. I said, okay, baby, what you want? 
He said, Daddy, I want a hamburger, Happy Meal, ketchup only. I want Coke to drink. And I want Woody inside my Happy Meal. I said, baby, Woody ain't going to be in there. It's come and gone. And I didn't want to fuss with him because it was late. And I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get back to the hotel. So we get inching up, you know, late at night. It takes a long time to go through the drive-thru at McDonald's. And, and we're getting close to that first window. And I pay. And then we're starting to inch up to the second window. And, and, and Randy said, Daddy? I said, yes, baby. He said, let's pray. I said, baby, we've been praying all night. I'm tired. No, Daddy, I want to pray for Woody to be in my Happy Meal. And I'm thinking, great Caesar's ghost. I pulled psychology on him. I'm going to make him pray. Because I can just hear it. Woody's not going to be in that Happy Meal. And then we're going to pray. And then tomorrow night in the revival, when I call the prayer line, he's going to jump up and say, well, y'all don't let my daddy pray for you. He can't even get a prayer through. I, I asked him to pray for Woody, and it didn't happen. And so don't even let him come up here and pray for him. So I'm going to make him pray. That's what I made up in my mind. I said, son, you're going to pray. And I will never forget this as long as I live because my boy began to pray like a grown man. I knew he had listened to every sermon, every service he'd been in. And this is what he prayed in his child voice. He said, Father, my daddy always taught me to pray in the name of Jesus. And so I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus. And I have ordered a Happy Meal tonight. And I just won't catch up only on my hamburger. And I just want Coke to drink. But God, I want you to give me Woody in my Happy Meal. And then he said, Lord, my daddy always taught me to, after I prayed to thank you for what you've already going to do. And he said, Lord, I thank you right now because I know Woody is going to be inside my Happy Meal. And then he said, Lord, my daddy always told me when I finished praying to say in the name of Jesus, it is done. And he said, in the name of Jesus, I believe it's done. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? Because he's not going to get Woody. Because sometimes, folks, we don't get what we pray. And I'm thinking, how am I going to do this, you know? What am I going to do? Well, I'm just going to be a pastor now. And I'm going to look at him like a good pastor. Son, you just didn't have enough faith. Isn't that what we say sometimes? I guess you didn't have enough faith. That's what I was going to tell him. So we got up to that second window. That woman handed me that Happy Meal and that Coke. I know she thought I was rude. And I probably was. I grabbed that thing out of her hand. And I threw it over to his mother. I wasn't going to hand it to him. I was going to let her hand it to him. And then I was going to say, see, it transferred from your mama to you and you didn't get it. He got it and he set his little Coke in his little cup holder there in the car seat and he reached in and I could hear the papers rattling and he reached in and he pulled out, right there it is, the hamburger with ketchup only and, and then he, he pulled out the fries and he set them down and he just sat there for a moment and it was quiet. And I said, baby, what, 
what toy did you get tonight? And he reached down inside there and he started smiling. And he said, Daddy, look, I got Woody in my Happy Meal. And can I tell you something? This is that same Woody that my son got. This is the very Woody that he got. You can look on the end of the boot where he used to put his little teeth there and chew on it. And my boy got this Woody. Now, it lasted about a week or two. And then when he finally put it away, I put it in my briefcase. And I carry it with me everywhere I go, everywhere I travel. Because sometimes I have to remind myself that that day my son didn't get just a Woody. My son got an answer to prayer. And so now I'm looking at my son as a husband. I'm looking at my son as a father and when he begins to ask God for something he'll call me and he'll say daddy I need the Lord to do this I need God to do this and he said will you unite your faith with my faith just like we did when we prayed for that that Woody and signed that happy meal he's begged me for this little toy he wants it back to use it in his meetings and I said no way Jose because it's mine now because this is a constant reminder to me that all I've got to do uh, is put my faith in God. Uh, All I've got to do is declare it's recovery time. Uh, So I came to tell somebody this morning, uh, I don't know what you're facing. Uh, I don't know what you're going through. Uh, I don't know what the devil is trying to tell you. But God said this morning, uh, it's recovery time. It belongs to you. Uh, The battle is not yours. Uh, It's already been fought. Uh, Victory belongs to you. Whoever you are today, whoever you are, just have faith in God. Some will say, Bishop, well, I've been praying, but it hasn't come. Don't quit praying. Don't quit praying. Keep believing. Keep trusting God. I've been preaching for 39 years. My father right now has not been serving God my whole life. My father is on his deathbed. He's getting ready to transition from this world to the next. He's 72 years of age. Because of choices he made in his life, he's suffering with COPD. And he's getting ready to leave this world. My father was a drunkard. My father was a gambler. My father was an alcoholic all my life. But just a few days ago, I had the privilege and the opportunity of leading my dad to Jesus Christ. And when he leaves this world, I know where he's going to spend eternity because I made up in my mind I'm going to recover all. When I first started preaching, God promised me my household. My mother is a Jehovah's Witness and she's persecuted me from day one for preaching the gospel but until she breathes that last breath there is hope there is hope my mother told me that she hated me and despised me for the gospel that I preached when I was 16 years of age but I've got news for you this morning pastor I've got my hands on the gospel plow and I still wouldn't take nothing for my journey now So I come to tell somebody this morning, it's recovery time. It's recovery time.